2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sklina. And I'm your other host, Matt Sklina. And Matt, today we've got one of my favorite shows of the year. I'm
1: super excited about it. We've got some folks from UDI. That's right. We've got Robert McDonald from the McDonald group of companies, uh, a, a massive developer here in Vancouver and across North America, right. who's also uh, involved in UDI. And then we got Ann McMullen, CEO and, and president. CEO and president, really excited to have them on. And, and I should say, Matt, not
2: only is Robert McDonald a developer in va- the Vancouver area, but he's also, he's went from Seattle to Sacramento, San Diego to Atlanta, Hong Kong, Phoenix, and the list goes on.
1: I actually think, speaking about Robert McDonald first, uh, one of the most interesting things is he's a Vancouver guy, born and bred, lives here, cares a lot about the city. UBC grad. UBC grad. And yet, I mean, he's done some big projects here, like the Hudson. He's done Capitol Residences. Right, right. He's been involved in a lot of projects in Vancouver. But the most interesting thing is he's worked in so many other markets, but he still lives in and cares about Vancouver. Right. So from that perspective, it's uh, it really is a different perspective than we've had on the show. I also feel like, you know sometimes like comedians
2: have like the comedian's comedian? Like comed- there's like a comedian that all comedians look to and they say, wow, yeah. what an impressive Used comedian. Used to be Louis C.K. <laughs> Used to be, yeah. Yeah, years years back, years <laughs> prior. Um, I would say that Rob McDonald is kind of the developer's developer in a lot of ways. Yeah. We've had so many people in the community reach out to us and say, you have to get Robert McDonald on the show. Yeah, and and he doesn't disappoint. He does not disappoint at all. And Anne McMullen as well. We're let, Let's let's not overshadow. Like, it's so crazy when you have
1: two guests that are so successful. <laughs> either, either of these guests would have been massive shows for us. Right. And we managed to somehow uh, get them both in the room at the same time. I mean, Ann McMullen, since we started this podcast, I mean, as a... CEO and president of UDI, which is the Urban Development Institute, right? Which is basically uh, the organization for developers in the Lower Mainland, right? They have 850 corporate members. We've wanted to have Ann on, I think, since day one, right? Like it's basically she's been one of these people we've been shooting for from the beginning. So uh, yeah, and she doesn't disappoint as well. This is a very exciting episode. We actually had the mobile studio.
2: We went to the UDI offices. And we met with them in their boardroom, beautiful boardroom, uh, up Very in nice the uh, what, the two hundredth floor of, the, of some some building downtown. <laughs> was it? it was uh, it was unbelievable. Was it a marble table? It was. A, I think it was a marble table. I'm not sure. We were. We you were you wore a suit and you were underdressed for the yeah, experience. I, that
1: that is, tr- I, <laughs> that I is true. I I wore my best
2: garbage bag. I. <laughs> The craziest thing about I me
1: is, when you showed up in sweatpants, I was a little surprised. It wasn't honest.
2: sweatpants, but I I was. I didn't I didn't dress the part, and then and then I should say, Ann and Robert. Now that we're on a first first names basis here, <laughs> um, both came in impeccably dressed. Immaculate. impeccably, yeah. yeah.
1: Rob McDonald was wearing a three piece suit. Right. Uh, he made me want to up my suit game, and I felt like I was wearing my best. I should
2: say just quickly before we get, now that we're on the topic of dressing. I kind of waver back and forth depending on who's inspirational to me in that moment in time, and I left that meeting thinking I'm going to start wearing. You've now you're wearing, three-piece uh, I'm wearing three piece suits every day now. Three piece suits. I've <laughs> I've upped my uh, funky glasses game. Um, I am uh, I'm definitely I'm getting into cycling. Um, it's it's really it's interesting how much of an influence Rob McDonald had on me. But on a side note. Um, I have like, I've been really going, sometimes I'm suited. Now I'm well, getting the, into this like sport coat
1: thing. Well, you know what? It's, it's interesting in the, when you look at realtors and how they dress and how they kind of, uh, like to illustrate that they're very confident. Some people wear really nice suits. Right. Other guys will wear track pants, like I don't, I don't have to, I, I'm the real deal. I don't have to get dressed for this. And you've kind of sure. wavered between I I did have a tracksuit phase,
2: Matt. Yes, I did. Um, that I was, was I was inspired by by a certain by, a certain
1: by, Russian realtor.
2: Yeah, no, I was I was inspired by a Russian agent. Um, very very uh, interesting. Uh, a Deodora, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, let's uh, enough about us and our dress codes. Let's get to this interview. This is again one of our favorites. I cannot wait for this one. Enjoy, guys. This one doesn't disappoint. Okay, so we're here with Ann McMullen, president and CEO of Urban Development Institute, and Robert McDonald, president and founder of McDonald Development Corporation. How are you both? Very well, thank Terrific. you. Terrific. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for taking the time today, guys. So, um maybe we'll start with uh, with Robert. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Well, sure. I grew up in Vancouver. Uh, I'm 62 now. Uh, graduated from the University of British Columbia, and I've been in real estate since the day I graduated. So, uh, that's some time now, and it's been an absolutely terrific career. really
1: enjoyed it. Were you, were you always interested in real estate? I'm kind of always interested to see how people fell into it. Well, um, when I was quite young, I
4: started to buy houses in Kitsilino, and I'd renovate them and resell them. So uh, at one time, I was a framer in Squamish, but I got my university degree. I was really focused on uh, tax and finance. Uh, but anyway, I, I decided there was a little more money
2: and maybe a little bit more
4: fun in real estate. So I gravitated there.
2: Very nice. And and Anne, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah, I was born in Vancouver. I was actually raised on the North Shore in West Vancouver. I went to UBC and then I went to BCIT and I actually started out my career as a journalist, a broadcast journalist in radio and in television. And uh, after a few years there, I was actually uh, recruited out and uh, went to work in the forest industry. So uh, since then, and that goes back a number of years, 30, 25 years or so. I don't know, are we supposed to reveal our age, Rob? I'm not sure about <laughs> not that. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so I've worked in the resource sector, in forestry, and in, in um, salmon industry, in logistics at the Port Authority. So my career has really been in public policy, government relations, and really helping to uh, Build industry in British Columbia, and that's what we do here at UDI to try to make it easier for the industry to flourish. Uh, That's what we did in the forest industry, and often I come into organizations when they are in perhaps a time of crisis or in a time of change, and that's what I've basically what I've done.
1: Interesting. Uh, So, Urban Development Institute. We actually had John Stovell on the show. A year, year and a half ago, and he kind of uh, detailed a little bit more about the Urban Development Institute. Can you speak a little bit about Urban Development Institute and then a follow-up just based on what you said? Are we in a crisis right now or is it, uh, can you speak to kind of the moment we're in?
3: Yeah. the UDI is an organization that represents the real estate development industry, both from a residential, commercial, and industrial. We have about 850 member companies that are part of our organization, representing about 250,000 employees around the province, and about $22 billion in GDP. I think we represent about 25% of the economy. So it's a huge part of of the economy and of of job creation. Uh, I think that when I say, are we in a crisis, I suppose, arguably, yes. I think there is certainly a a part of the housing industry that there is a crisis but i think that what when i talk about a bit of a crisis is it's 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 the sentiment that people have um around the real estate issue the real estate industry the real estate issue around housing in general whether it's people they don't want their communities to change or they can't afford a home or there's urban sprawl or we're not making the kind of decisions that we should be making uh in order to, I think, house the people in British Columbia or in, in, in the lower mainland and build the kind of homes that people want. So in that regard, I would say that it's a, a crisis for perhaps from a government relations and public relations perspective, but also from a pricing perspective and also an approval process <laughs> <laughs> Sure,
1: sure. Well, well, Adam and I, are we're both realtors, and uh, I feel like in the last five years or so have been raked over the coals and kind of hung up in, in the streets. Um <laughs> numerous times at at different moments do do home builders like like realtors get a bad rap and and do you think that's justified
3: they do get a bad rap. And, you know, is it justified? That's a tough question. And I don't know if they really, I really want to get into the debate of whether they're justified or not. I think people feel pain. And, uh, you know, the, the lower mainland and the region has changed very rapidly, I suppose, arguably right. since 1986. Um, you know, we've what has almost tripled our population since then. So, it, you know, every time there's change, people um, feel under pressure and their communities have changed. And perhaps the the community that they grew up in, they can't uh, buy a home that they grew up in. So, you know, we, when we feel pain, I think sometimes we're looking for, you know, to blame. And uh, when you look around, you think, well, you know, the realtors or the people who are building homes are making a lot of money, and yet I'm not making enough money, and I can't, and I can't buy or I, I can't get a home. So, I, you know i I do think it is is a a bit unfair, but I also understand it.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and Rob, as someone in the development community with a, with a, a lengthy career in in development do you do you feel the same way?
4: Well, I'll just comment on on real estate agents first. I mean my my own view <laughs> Uh-oh. well i I think ninety eight percent of the real estate agency community is absolutely tremendously professional. And they work with their clients, and they're honest and ethical and do a great job. So that's my view of the real estate agency business generally. When you sometimes get a guy like, say, Bob Rennie is out there hyping, you know, development deals or something. Now, maybe he's seen in part as part of driving up prices, but yet I think he's one of the most wonderful people in this region. Completely wonderful in every possible way. In terms of developers, um, some people (sighs) – Some people, but I would say these are kind of people on the left uh, that think they should get housing as a right for free. They sometimes think, "Well, gee, I should get housing as a right for nothing." So I don't like these greedy developers because they're actually trying to make money, you know. But I think that's you know maybe there's twenty percent of the people out there that think that way. You know, you see sometimes on development permit signs, "greedy developer," and someone's putting, you know. (laughs) So, you know, <laughs> signs on it, <up>, whatever <laughs> dollar signs. Uh, but I would say broadly, seventy-five percent of the community, eighty percent of the community, sees developers in a reasonable light that they're just business people trying to build housing.
1: Right. Has just I know uh, both of you have been in the real estate business for a long time, but in just since you've started, you know, got out of UBC, like has, has the perception changed? Is it is it significantly different now than it was, say? 15 years ago, like, can you talk about kind of how it's transformed a little bit? Well, when
4: I would go back in time, when I graduated from UBC, it was May of 1980. The market had been really on fire through the late 70s, there was very significant inflation. And then interest rates went up to 20%. It was like turning off a switch. So a good part of the 80s, you know, were very, very difficult, the market started to recover in the late 80s. But then the NDP socialists were elected in the 90s. And then the 90s, Started off okay, but then the whole thing went to sh- completely. Am I allowed to say that? And <laughs> by the end of the nineties, you know, there was no GDP growth. There was essentially no population growth. I mean, you said that population growth had started uh, recovering eighty six, but uh, you know, I don't really think so. There's certainly I mean, the no city job changed, growth.
3: Changed, I guess, It's sort of that welcoming so, the world. You know, that's what right. The kind of expo moment yeah. That, yeah, that everybody kind of yeah.
4: seems to cite. But so, you get yeah. to 2000, and then there was a change back to free enterprise government. Um, taxes were reduced. Royalty rates were reduced in industry. Uh, the market started to flourish. And we had really 16 years from 2000 to 2016 is superb, superb government. And that allowed uh, job growth, very, very significant job growth, development growth, and a very healthy community overall uh, now, you know, we've got a different kind of government in now. So time will tell if that's going to be a return to the 90s or not. I don't know if that answers your question, but
1: yeah. – yeah, no, no, that's really interesting.
3: Uh, I mean, I would say though that yes, I think things have changed over the last 15 years because, as Rob said, there has been over the, you know since 2000 there was rapid growth, and so I think that you know it's for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction. So I think that when we have this great growth, and in fact this city has become I think a much better place. And you you know you, whether you look around here, whether it's Yaletown or I think of Lower Lonsdale or even in you know Coquitlam where they've built around the Evergreen Line, these these areas have been really revitalized but at the same time, um, there has been pushback. So yes, I think that um, while there has been, like I say, great growth, and we have an amazing city building, there has also been a pushback. So I think that it has perhaps, if you talk about a reputation, it has gotten worse, not because the practices are any worse, but I think because for some people, things have gotten more difficult. And as Rob said, some people feel it's a right. Um, and I think obviously shelter is a right, but in terms of sort of that housing, and there is an ideology in in, the, in British Columbia where the people do not believe that you should be profiting off of housing. And that is an ideology, and, and those people are opposed, I think, to, to what they see going on. And um, I'm not saying that that's right. I certainly don't believe that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not aligned with that ideology, of course. But certainly those people are, um, uh, I think, very critical of what's been going on yeah. as well.
4: Could I touch on that? that very good point. And I, I think um, governments at all level could have and should have done a much Mm -hmm. better job in providing more affordable housing for that maybe that bottom 10% or 15% of the population that really needs it. Um, I I think we can agree that housing is a right. And so for those people that are having difficulties in their life, we need to help them. And the governments have just not done a good enough job at that. And so we're seeing the results of of, uh, that poor government behavior.
3: Yeah, and I think... Do you know, it is easy, like I said, to sort of blame the developer. We often don't look to ourselves and the role that we've played as as um, people who residents or people who live in the community. Of what impact have we had uh, in saying no to projects? Uh, what impact has that had on raising prices, on limiting the supply, on limiting the the type of homes um, that we're only building on about you know thirty percent um, of the land base, and so we're jamming so much of of our homes into into small areas and not allowing ourselves to have sort of maybe a more modest growth in other areas and then that, you know, you restrict the amount of land that can be bought and then built on, the prices go up. So I think we do, we're so quick again to blame the developer, they're the ones that are getting rich uh, and uh, and not maybe looking at ourselves and I think governments as well have um, and some municipalities, the the role that they've played in, and I think uh, not taking the bold decisions and not taking the leadership that is needed because they know, uh, I, I firmly believe they know what the answers are and how we do have to create uh, more homes in areas that perhaps didn't have a number of homes and whether you call it density. uh, So, you know, we all have had a role to play, but it's very easy uh, to blame somebody other than yourself.
1: Sure, sure. Does Vancouver, and I think I know the answer uh, that we're going to hear, but does Vancouver currently, and I'm thinking with sales ratios down at kind of 10% right now, have a supply problem?
3: Yes. Uh, You know, it's all these things. There's so many factors, as you know, as realtors that go into this, and and, and Rob is probably more of an expert on this than than I am. But, you know, when we look at the the NDP government, their objective was we're going to make it better by lowering prices. Well, they've lowered prices. But does that make anything more affordable to people? Are people all lining up to grab all these affordable homes? No. So a year later after the budget, are we in a better place? No, I would argue that we're in a, in a worse place. Um, Rob and I were just at a, a UDI event where Andy Ramlow from Rennie Marketing was speaking. And, you know... We do have a supply problem, and people look at, well, there's housing starts. They're just as high as they were the year before and the year before that and the year before that. But what we're not factoring in is demolitions, houses being pulled down, uh, buildings being pulled down, um, but also housing formation. Uh, the number of people that live in, in a home, and I don't know if it was 15 or 20 years ago, it would be, say, the average would be 2.5% people per home. Right. Now it's 1.7, but we're still building the same number of homes. So, you know, not to get into the the details of the data, but it was very clear and that we know that no, we are not building enough homes for the population and also for what we call the people that aren't even counted in population numbers is temporary foreign workers, foreign students and that's about 100,000 a year that coming into the Lower Mainland. So, the the data is very clear that we simply are not building enough homes.
1: Rob do you think the last five years, or, or even four years, I guess, from say 2014 to 2018, when we went on a on a tear uh, and the market went kind of bananas here, do you think that's been a net positive or a negative for for Vancouver? Well, I guess it, it depends where you where you sit.
4: Um, I mean, the big positives would be, and you said earlier. What is the annual GDP? The twenty-two
3: devel- billion dollars. Twenty-two million.
4: billion. So over f- five years, that's a hundred billion of development GDP. Right. So that's a staggering amount of jobs, um, formers, framers, plumbers, uh, lawyers, accountants, architects. I mean, everybody that's involved in this industry. It's the single biggest industry in the Lower Mainland by far. And Anne, I'm sure you'd have that exact percentage, but it must be what percentage? Well, it's about
3: the- 25, 20 to 25% of the overall economy. And, you know, you add up all the other uh, sectors combined, and, you know, real estate is bigger than all of those combined.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, sure. You know, and, and the, the multiple spin-off effects. So it's helped create an extremely healthy economy uh, for the lower mainland, one of the strongest economies certainly in, um, in, in North America because of this growth. I mean what what has been the you know the negative is that you know prices have gone up significantly because there has not been enough supply and there's been a lot of demand we know from not only just people wanting homes for themselves to live in but investors and investors you can break that down into long-term investors or speculators there's been a lot of speculation in the marketplace and where's that all come from I mean it's easy to blame people from mainland China buying all this kind of stuff but there's a, certainly there 's been a, a lot of local people as would be the vast majority of investors and speculators so anyway the, the the big negative of course is prices have gone way up and if you 're a buyer um, wanting to get into the market certainly a first time buyer a lot of millennials trying to be first time buyers 's been very difficult on them of course if you 're a seller and you bought your home for thirty five years thirty five years ago for two hundred grand and you 're selling it for four million you 're pretty happy you know? <laughs> yeah. So it depends where you sit.
2: Right, and right, of course. And, and can we talk a little bit about obviously we're in a new territory when it comes to the market? The market has softened, softened quite a bit. Um, can we talk about the factors that led to the market softening, in your opinion, Rob, maybe?
4: Uh, well, we all know, I mean, the, the basics of the, the government, for ideological reasons, as Ann said earlier, um, put in a whole host of new taxes, whether, it's, uh, and they also wanted to suppress demand. So for two reasons, they brought in this whole host of taxes. Like the phony school tax is a wealth tax. That's an ideological tax. The foreign buyers tax is an attack against foreign buyers to try to depress that demand. So um, you know these these whole host of taxes have certainly worked in in depressing the market. Um, you know, as well, it's become more difficult to get money out of China for people from mainland China that want to invest here. Their own government has got some serious issues. Their debt-to-GDP ratio is 300%. They have $38 trillion in debt. They're trying to keep money in China. They don't want to see money leaving China investing in real estate in Vancouver. They don't want that. So they've put in some restrictions on getting their money out. So there's there's a host of factors that have depressed the market. And certainly when when you're an investor either a speculator if you're a speculator you want to see the market going up you must see it going up well those speculators are gone they're out of the market they don't see it going up and if you're a long-term investor you still want to see the market going up a little bit maybe it's 2 or 3 or 4% at least going up a little bit well those investors are very nervous so they're by and large gone so you take these uh, you know this immense number of people out of the market and so there's a there's a depression at the moment. Now, I think Anne would say there's going to be continued population growth, and eventually there's going to be this organic demand, and uh, well, the market should recover.
3: Yes, I think too, and, and and just to add on to what Rob was saying, there's also the mortgage stress test with the federal sure. government that took about twenty or thirty percent of people out of the market, and um, and I think that I mean that is that's I think that's a, a huge part of it. But I when there the when Rob talks about immigration, I think from you know, as a resident of British Columbia and as a citizen that cares, what worries me the most is that we have this uncertainty in the market. So we're seeing our builders are pulling back. And over the next couple of years, pull back, not launch projects. Um, And so over the next couple of years we won't be having these projects sort of on the books, we won't be having these launches. And then what that does, of course, is reduce supply, creates pent up demand, and then prices in a couple of years are just going to take off again. And then we're just going to be in this exact same cycle, rather than looking at this holistically, and not just bring in all these demand side taxes and say, how do we actually um, build and grow for the, for the people that are moving here? Because as Andy Ramlow said today, we're still seeing those people come here. So Uh, We're not fixing this by bringing in all these taxes. I I said the other day, it used to be people were buying a lot of real estate, as you know, as part of it is that, that gut feeling, the feeling of missing out. Now there's this feeling of uncertainty, people not wanting to get into the marketplace, so people staying on the sidelines. And then when people do fall, start to feel a little bit more confident in a year or two, again, we're going to just be in this uh, similar situation of a crisis. So yes, I think that people are still going to be coming here. And I think that's just going to, frankly, I, don't, I shouldn't say make matters worse, because we we need the people here to pay for our um, retirement and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I don't. we're not making it better by gripping in all these taxes and, and uh, curbing demand.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and we've talked about it on the show before, that, you know, the That actually speculation and we've had a guest on who who made this point that you know if you look at say paris in the late 19th century that uh, speculators in the market actually built a lot of the housing that is still 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 being lived in and actually is the affordable housing in paris right now um and and it made me think of the last kind of five six years where uh there's been a lot of a lot of housing starts and that seems to be basically the taps turned off now and, and i think it, it suggests what you're saying and that that um we're probably going to be back in another cycle like we just saw at some point. It's just a matter of when.
3: Right. And you know, whether it's the word developer or supply or density or speculator have all become somehow negative words, bad words. I mean, whatever business you're in, you are speculating. You right. open up a small retail store, you are speculating that people are going to come and buy, buy your goods. And it's the same thing in the real estate industry. So why somehow that you're going to take a two dollars or $300, $300 million risk and not Um, sort of speculate that hopefully you're going to make some money on that. Why that is seen as bad. Um, You know, again, it's sort of an ideological discussion. (laughs) We need speculation. That's what builds the economy. People are speculating that the economy is going to grow.
1: Well, and finance those projects, Mm -hmm. right? You need a certain amount of the project's Sold before you can actually get the financing in place, right? Yeah, and
3: again, as you know, we say sort of speculators are bad, but you know, a huge part of the secondary rental market is people like maybe all of us that buy maybe one or two or three condominiums on the speculation that people are going to need to rent them and that we're going to have a population to rent them, or that in a number of years from now it will have gone up in price and perhaps that's going to be my retirement as I sell my single family home and move into a condo, and some other family can move into a single family the the home that I'm leaving. So. Again, this is all part of the of the, I guess as they say, it's the speculation. But but it, that has become a bad word. But it's really just part of, you know, yeah. our economy and our community.
4: And these longer term investors uh, that have been buying condos and renting them out, they're the ones that have really provided the vast vast majority of rental supply, which is a really positive thing in our marketplace.
1: Right, because purpose built rental has has basically, and it's something we don't talk a lot about, but. It, there hasn't been a lot of purpose-built rental built in vancouver for a very long time yeah virtually none
3: and there's all sorts of reasons. It goes back to, you know, rent control in the first NDP government in 1972. And then it was relaxed and brought in. So and then the CMHC federal government program was cut. And so, you know, that just as they say, it didn't pencil, it didn't make sense. It wasn't financially viable to build rental. And just in the last number of years, it became somewhat viable. But again, instead of actually incentivizing it, now we're seeing municipalities saying, oh, well, you're making too much money. We need to cut back or take away. And so now we're going to, I think, going to see um, sort of the whole rental market that was just starting to get going, uh, you know, fall off. Yeah.
1: One step forward, two steps <laughs> back. Sometimes I
3: think it's about <laughs> 10 steps back.
1: But, yeah. <laughs> Rob, maybe you've been in this market for a long time and it sounds like you're, you've are you really kind of uh, or been in the US for a long time and expanded out and, and you're not kind of focused as much on Vancouver. But does this moment feel familiar to you? Like, is it, is, is there another time in Vancouver's market history since you've been around that that this feels like? Like, is it two thousand nine, two thousand thirteen, or is this something kind of territory that we're, yeah. we're unfamiliar with? Well, well, I was
4: um, you know a- active in the marketplace. I mean, I used to probably own five or six hundred apartment units here, and I was uh, you know building things here. And I remember when Mike Harcourt was the mayor, and I got to know him a little bit. Very nice man, like a really nice man. But when then he ran for premier and was elected as the premier, I had a meeting in my company and I said, okay, listen, I know Mike. I know some of the people around him. We're moving 50% of our, all of our business out of here. Yeah. And we're going to have a West Coast strategy. And so we moved our business to Seattle, Sacramento, San Diego, Los Angeles. And we did really well. The day that Glenn Clark replaced my car cart, I called a meeting in our company and I said, we're moving the other 50% of our business out of here. We're completely out these people are going to destroy this economy completely. I know these people. Um, Nice people. Sure. But they're going to destroy things. And that's exactly what they did. Um, So we had moved our entire business to the U.S. And then we went into Atlanta and Phoenix and – I'm not going to say how much money we made, but it was a lot. But we hired hundreds of employees in the U.S. We paid tens of millions of dollars in taxes. And, you know, we didn't move our business back to British Columbia until Gordon Campbell was elected because, and I know him, and I knew he was going to help turn things around. He's a very balanced person, strong social conscience, but he realizes it's the entrepreneurial marketplace that is, you know, is the steady horse pulling the whole train. So, um, I just believed he turned things around and then we reinvested here virtually all of our money. We largely sold out of the U.S. at that time and reinvested here. So, have I seen this before? Well, the people that are running the province now, like for instance Jeff Meggs, nice guy. He's the chief of staff to John Horgan. I've known Jeff for a long time. I think he's a very nice person. But he has got socialism in, ingrained in his DNA, deep in his guts. He's the guy that worked with Glenn Clark the last time they ruined this place. So I'm very nervous. I've seen this movie before. You know, it wasn't good for anybody in the '90s. So I'm I'm quite concerned. And though we've had this 16 years of tremendous government and great growth and positive GDP growth and population growth, job growth, everything's been great. But that can change.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: That can change. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm nervous about it.
3: And I think that it is already starting to change. And that's what troubles me is because I think the average person on the street doesn't see it yet. But the sort of the closer you are to the business and on operating, we're starting, we see it already. Like I said, we have a lot of our members who are pulling back, uh, who are not proceeding with projects or are waiting, delaying. I was, you know, a few of them today. We're waiting a year. And we know that um, projects are getting canceled. uh, Contracts are being canceled. And that is not, we're not going to sort of start to feel that perhaps for six to eight months. Now I think we're kind of naively going along that oh your economy is great. And it's going to take some time for it to trickle down, and that's what's troubling. And so it all seems good right now. Well, sure, these demand measures are good, the prices are down, you know, they're doing something about it. But what that does is put a real damper on the economy, on the industry, and I and I worry what it's going to look like in twelve months to eighteen months from now.
4: Yeah, there's probably what would you say, Anne, if I may ask a question. Uh, the total number of units that are kind of on hold or been deferred it would certainly be in the thousands. Of thousands
3: in the thousands, but, thousands yeah. in the thousands. You know, we um, we did a a quick study just before the ho- before Christmas and because we were looking, there was a potential of some really severe rent controls coming in, and we did a survey of how many rental units were on the books uh, from our 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 members, UDI members, and we had about eighteen to nineteen thousand rental units that were be, could be proposed, and with any the rent control and some of the things that we're seeing we've got about a 14,000 of those on hold that's just from the rental supply um, let alone the other projects that could have been launched um, this fall that could have or this uh, this spring that that are probably going to be delayed to the fall or even a year from now so those are jobs those are marketing jobs those are construction jobs in two or three years from now and I think that's what the, the problem is is when we say okay well I'm, I'm going to continue to put my application through city hall but I'm not going to really rush I'm just going be I'm to sort of, you know, keep it moving, but when I finally get approval, will I actually go ahead with the project? So, you know, if, if an approval can take anywhere from three to four years, and then you delay that for a year or two, um, you know, then that's when you start to see the layoff. So I'm very concerned what it's going to, this is going to look like in 12 to 18 months. And like I said, not only when you have layoffs, and then you still have people moving here, yet we're not getting the supply, prices go up. Um, you know I, I'm I'm fearful of what it's going to look like.
4: Mm. Yeah if you have uh, all these condominium projects I mean all my friends in the industry at McAllister and Polygon and all these guys they're all deferring their projects and you know we need is it 20,000 units mm-hmm. a, a year but we've, we've probably seen 10,000 deferred I mean at least mm-hmm. my kind of sense mm-hmm. of things and so, uh,
3: And so the jobs will continue for the next year or two because the, the stuff that's being built, when you talk about housing starts, those are homes that were sold sure. two and three years ago. So those are being built. But it's, in, like I said, it's in the 18 months from now. What is it going to look like?
1: That, that lag is, I think, what a lot of people don't, don't watch realize. for, right? Because, yeah, I actually just helped uh, uh, a young guy buy a, a condo downtown who works on a construction site over in – um On Cambi, he said, "Oh yeah, we've been going gangbusters." And I'm thinking, I wonder how long that lasts. You know, probably you got to finish this project. Maybe have another site to go to after that. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of in the it's in the mail,
3: Mm -hmm. exactly. You know, and as well, we're even seeing, even though we're in this, you know, what I call delay and 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 builders, developers, sort of pulling back yet in many municipalities they're even wanting to slow things down more and I think do you have any idea what you're doing and you know you talk about people who can't move into something and, and you can argue yes there's a housing crisis and and just that you think about how long it takes to get anything done and I say to people around the table I'm on this Burnaby Housing Affordability Task Force and you know there's sort of this delay well should we do this should we do this and I said you know what even if we made a decision today Those people that need homes, whether they're in the below market rental or social housing, it's seven years before they can move in if we continue down this path. So you want to continue delaying and you want to, you know, let's take it slowly, you're actually telling somebody today who needs a home that they're not going to get it for seven years. And I don't think that that's acceptable.
2: Mm -hmm. This actually kind of leads to one of our next questions. What are some of the biggest challenges facing the home building community right now?
3: Oh, goodness. You know, there's so many. Uh, you know, I, I put it into kind of five buckets. You know, we talk about trying to build rental. Um, you know, we say making rental makes sense, trying to build rental. You know, whether it's, you know, the city of Vancouver, uh, looking to scrap the Rental 100 program, which was supposed to be incentives to bring in, uh, market rental. They brought in a new program called MERP, which is Middle Income Rental Housing. Pilot project, uh, you know, there's communities whether it's the one in Kitsilano or another one on Broadway, and they're they're trying to to fight it. Uh, the provincial government, uh, through their housing affordability task force, was considering rent control. They've now uh, eliminated the ability for rental building owners to increase the rent to cover costs, uh, you know, sort of major um, maintenance and renovation costs. So just in the rental area alone, there's an enormous amount of of headwinds and and policies that make it almost impossible to build. And that's just in the rental. Um, You know, when you look at, again, when we're trying to say, okay, well, let's build more townhomes, let's build more duplexes, let's, you know, well, where are you going to build those? You're going to build those in existing neighborhoods, but existing neighborhoods are pushing back. We just look over in the district of North Van, they've canceled. Three projects, right? Below rent, all of them a below market rental. So, and you have an an affordability task force going on there, but you just had three projects that you that could have delivered that, and they canceled them. So, there's, you know, I that's what we just. There's twelve of us here working full time on issues.
4: the government canceled them? The government, the
3: municipal government canceled
1: them. them. It wasn't the developer. No, they wanted to go ahead. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. and Mm -hmm. and is that? Do you think that's? and maybe this is a touchy question, but is that just a lack of vision or political will or a misunderstanding of the way things work? Or why do you think that they're having so much I think it's all three. There? It's yeah. all
3: three. You know, and I'm not saying that these are easy decisions. Right. Um, but I think that all municipalities are looking for some sort of silver bullet. But it does take a bold leadership uh, because it does mean going into communities that, that does bring about change, but you can do modest change. You don't have to put a massive tower in every, you know, suburban neighborhood. Um, but yes, it, it is. And, and, and I, I understand that, you know, Uh, for municipal leaders, it's hard because there's a whole public hearing process and people come up and they scream and yell and that sort of thing. So, you know, I just think, again, back to the uh, Burnaby Task Force that I sit on and there's made up of, you know, very well-meaning people, um, all the councillors and staff. And I see the group starting to realize, oh, there isn't anything. They say, well, we want something new. We want something creative. We want something innovative. Actually, there isn't. You just you need to build more homes along transit. You need to go into areas and rezone and create you no know, duplexes and triplexes and single-family homes. You need to incentivize rental. Uh, you need to take the costs out so that you can build it when you look at land costs. You need to build on you know, rental or social housing on city-owned land. I mean, all these answers are there. I mean, the City of Vancouver and their Housing Affordability Task Force identified these things 10 years ago. Most of them were not implemented so the solutions are there, but they're politically hard perhaps to implement.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Rob, so, so you kind of developed throughout North America. Is, is Vancouver kind of unique in how challenging it can be for, for developers, in your opinion?
4: Um, we're doing a project in Toronto now, and we got permits for something that we're doing in 90 days that here would have taken like a year um, we're doing projects, you know, in, in Phoenix, Atlanta, et cetera. Again, we get permits for, you know, you know these are big buildings. Uh, again, we can do the whole thing, soup to nuts, zero to complete approvals inside 12 months here. And, again, it kind of depends who you are here. It depends if you grease the right palms here. That's the other problem dealing with the city of Vancouver. Um, but it can take, if you haven't greased the right palms, it might take you four years to get your permits I mean, it's completely crazy. So uh, it's, it's pretty frustrating. You know, Vancouver's a unique place. Um, now there's 22 different municipalities in, in in Greater Vancouver, and some of them are superb in terms of dealing with developers and issuing permits. I'd say, Anne. Yeah, uh, for sure. And and some are terrible. Vancouver just happens to be one of the absolute worst. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know, and it's not the people uh, that, it's not the staff necessarily, or even the councillors. It's, you know, it's the, the constancy, it's a sort of piling on and overlapping of policies and no hierarchy of policy. And when we want heritage and we want to save trees and we want view corridors and we want setbacks and we want this and we want that. Well, after you want all those things, there's nothing left. So, and, and, and it takes that long to try to get through the process when you check all these boxes. So often you get, you know, you, there's, I don't know, 50 boxes to check and you get to number 10 and by the time you've checked off number 10, now you're contravention of box number one so it makes it very very difficult um you know and and it's the city of vancouver it's the heart of the region and then it it is more difficult um other municipalities i think also when i look at around the region is it's 22 different municipalities with 22 different sets of rules and some do a good job and, and others don't and so i think that the the province actually has a role to play in whether they're incentivizing municipalities i think of um you know We put a billion-dollar line, the Evergreen line, out to Coquitlam. The city of Coquitlam plans ahead, and they're building townhomes and towers and a whole host of things to create a great community. And the, this line, train, goes through Port Moody, and Port Moody decides to do nothing. That is, as a taxpayer, that's wrong. I think that, you know, we need to have a region-wide, I know it's difficult, but a region-wide plan that if you're going to be putting, spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of tax dollars that you need to be able to, um, you know, create homes and really leverage and take advantage of that. You shouldn't be able to, municipalities shouldn't be able to pick and choose whether they do it or not.
1: Yeah, you know what, and that's, we were just talking to somebody who made this point, which is, seemingly obvious, but once he, when he said it, I was like, that's a great point, is that if you build rental in Vancouver, like Vancouver proper, the vacancy rate in Surrey will go up. So it is kind of an integrated, an integrated um, environment, obviously. And, and yet, if you're planning all separately, it's, it's, yeah, it's not fair and not, not the smartest approach, that's for sure. And the provincial
4: government hasn't taken the leadership that they should have taken. Um,
3: and nor did the previous one either. No, so not just to blame the
4: Yeah, I agree with that. Just a note about, uh, I, I, I guess I don't really want to bash the city of Vancouver, but if you've been around here long enough, you know, in the city of Vancouver, you used to get development permits for major projects all within 12 months. You know, the city of Vancouver, when Ken DeBell, for instance, was the city manager, ran in an amazing way. You know, when, when Gordon Campbell was the mayor, the, the city ran so well. And uh, it's really just gone completely downhill from there, and it's just so bureaucratic now. There's so many layers. There's so many new rules. Um, Again, nice enough people, but no clue.
3: Right. And, you know, again, I uh, not to pick on this one project, one community, but even you know we're in those early days i suppose it was we were going into areas that weren't built up now we're having to move into existing communities but you know you look at a five story building in Kitsilano and people calling it a mega tower you know those are the kind of things and and that within and i sort of feel for city council that's what they're up against and you know why even is the media do we you know sort of allow that to you know to go on that that you know it's it's just disingenuous i th- I think it's my in my opinion um to have a five story tower which is right next door to a few other towers or not even a five story tower five story building you know right. so uh, but again, that's the thing is people don't want their community to change we're now having to move into what you might call established communities um you know and again, communities change you know thirty years ago when I lived in Kitsilano, it was where you went and got cheap rent you know but it's not that's not what it's like now um so you know that's the, that's the difficulty as well. Not to It's not just sort of the – that's what I mean by it takes leadership and bold decision-making.
1: Right.
4: Well, and communicating with the public, mm-hmm. having a real dialogue with the public to try to get the public to buy into that, you know, we're a major urban center. Uh, we need to house people. We're going to grow over time. And uh, and let's, you know, let's agree broadly. We have to have these conversations. Where are we going to do that? Well, clearly where the transit line is going to run. And everybody should understand that around transit stations there should be significant density. And as a community, we need to understand that. And we need to get it. But our politicians need to do a much better job of communicating that message.
3: That's right. And some have done it. But, you know, I would say, you know, like I said, the Lonsdale Corridor, um, Daryl Masato, who's now no longer the mayor there, he took a lot of heat, but he was bold. And he knew that that was the kind of community that, you know, that, you know, he had an opportunity there, and he didn't back down. And uh, it's it's great over there. Again, Coquitlam, same thing. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's not great in the city of Vancouver, too, um, but some do a better job than others, yeah, for
4: sure. And arguably, the... City of Burnaby, uh, if if you look at how they densified around there. Transit corridor and their hubs—they've done a brilliant job, it seems to me. Anne,
3: they have done opinion. a brilliant job. I mean, they—they they made a few mistakes along the way. Uh, you know, they could have done things, and I think that they've put themselves in a bind now uh, because they—I don't think they looked at the other side. Whether it was looking at um, accommodating for the lower income, uh, they've got what is it, seven hundred million dollars, almost a billion dollars in the bank. A bit like the, the Liberals when they left office. You know, they should—I—they should have used that money and built on city land, whether it was leasehold or. So uh, below market rental or something like that. So you know there was a lot of you know a bit of dis- a fair bit of displacement. Uh, they did a great job with the market housing that they did, but they forgot the other side. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: that's kind of interesting because they do have a billion dollars in the bank, um, but they didn't want to put any of it towards social housing. They took the position that that was the province's job and not their
1: job. So didn't get done. Maybe just going back, I was kind of struck. Rob, by your comments about the city, about um, you know how Vancouver seems kind of unique in in North America, by the sounds of things, in terms of just how dysfunctional or slow the the process is to get something built here, and how there's kind of seemingly patronage networks or something that it, who you know is is important. Like, do you have any? Based on my understanding of what you said, Anne, it seems like there's kind of a an uh, issue with, uh, you know, we want to save, have uh, setbacks and save the trees, and and all these things that have kind of led to this gridlock. But do you have any other kind of hypotheses on on how Vancouver got to be uniquely dysfunctional in this way?
4: Well, it's 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 people. Again, I'll go back to the name Ken DeBell. When Ken DeBell ran this city, the guy was a genius. He worked fourteen hours a day. He was. Uh, an absolute professional in every possible way. And he had a great team. All those team members respected him. and The city ran great. And then he retired. And, well, he went to run the province for Gord Campbell when Gord Campbell became the premier. And then Judy Rogers took over. And, and Judy had been uh, a student of Kenda Bell's. And I think arguably she did a very good job. And then what happened... Um, the government changed and we got that uh, Gregor Robertson and you know that crowd in and the day they got in well Mike McGee was the chief of staff he fired Judy Rogers and he brought in Penny Ballum. She completely um, turned a well-oiled machine into something that was um, a disaster and it carried on from there and uh, so it comes down to people. You have to have the best people that actually know what they're doing and, we, and the senior leadership and we haven't had that It's like, Gregor Robertson, nice enough guy. Did he actually know how to run a city? No, no clue. You know, nice enough guy. Mm. But he should be living up in Hollyhock, up in Hornby Island or something like that. (laughs) Um, He has no clue how to run a city and he had no clue how to hire proper staff. So we are where we are.
3: And I think that it was the vision group too that brought in, and I don't want to get complicated for your audience, but it was the community amenity contribution. That whole system, I think, really screwed up planning. It was the... you know that the city wanted to get as much money as possible out of development so and it it actually drove planning and it drove even the height of the buildings. And I think it even drove the prices of the buildings Mm -hmm. and it, and it wasn't about, um, you know, let's build a city. What does this neighborhood look like? And what are the amenities that we need to contribute? And so how are we going to pay for that? It became a one-off one by one fight about, um, you know, how much money that the city could extract out of that building. And then the developer would just say, all right, well, you know, if you think I can sell it for this, I'll just do whatever you, to make it work. And, and that went on for I don't know how many years, and they're trying to fix that, but I, I, I think that was one of the um, – I think that is the single biggest issue that kind of screwed things up.
4: Yeah, horrible, horrible planning decision yeah. and completely illegal. The city's been operating illegally for quite some time in the way they extract people, uh, money from uh, developers, and um, that's, that's caused – Uh, been one of the significant causes of prices going up as well, I think.
3: It is, yeah, because they're setting a benchmark. Let's say, you know, a builder will come in and say well I want to build a building and I think that this is what I'm going to earn in terms of profit and I want to sell it for I don't know let's say $1200 a square foot and the city would say no well the guy next door he he was selling for $1500 a square foot so you're going to sell for $1500 a square foot and that's how much money I'm going to extract from your project and so then the builder says all right well I guess I need to you know up the ante make it bigger make it higher and you know increase the the uh, the The finishings, um, and then the, you're setting every time you do that, you're setting a new b- benchmark price. And and again, mm-hmm. not only does it affect prices, but it affects planning, the negotiation. It took a long time. That lengthened the negotiation, mm-hmm. the, the the planning process, or the approval process as well. All of that. I mean, it just and it also created distrust. It became an us versus them, um, and it and it wasn't a partnership. And like I said, if we go look around the mun- the municipal or the region, the municipalities that I think have done a good job, it's really where we've seen a partnership.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And understanding what, what the city of Vancouver was doing in this program, they were estimating your profit and then saying they wanted a percentage of that profit. And that's what made it completely illegal because federal governments can take an income tax. Provincial governments can take an income tax, but civic governments are not allowed by law. To tax your income, and when you take a percentage of someone's profits off the top, that's effectively what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, not only was it illegal for that reason, but it completely bastardized the planning process.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's kind of a unique uh, take on community amenity contributions. Of you know, the, from we've talked to other people about it, but this is
3: yes, the unique and I'm not saying you know it's not so much. The, it's not the money or even the amount of money. It was how it was right. negotiated and how it was done. You know, density bonusing goes on in all municipalities. But it's, again, it's based on what should the community look like if there's this many people moving in and the building looks like this. And so what do we think we need? Do we need a daycare? Do we need art space? Do we need more whatever it might be? Let's yeah. move, move Let's work together. To create that mm-hmm. um, not just I want you know you can you can charge more for that so you're going to give me more so then you just charge as much as you can and that again that's not how you plan or even how buildings should be designed so that the community management contribution even help determine or decide what a building would look like or even how tall it was.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah and, and, and yet the civic government city of Vancouver, has, I don't think, used all that money that they've extracted very wisely at all. I mean, are, do we like do we have great swimming pools? Do we have great soccer fields? Do we have great baseball fields? No, they're crap. Burnaby's are fantastic. Vancouver's, by and large, is horrible. So how they've spent this money is, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows where it's all gone? It's crazy. It's horrible, horrible management. I think mostly in, you know, bureaucratic salaries is where it's all gone. <laughs> you know, and but. to be
3: fair to the new... Um, government and 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 staff there is we are working to change it there is a recognition that it doesn't work that it doesn't result in good planning and that you don't really know where how the money is being spent and is it really addressing um, the needs uh, of that community and I guess in a city like Vancouver too is it does it does the money necessarily go right there you know in front of the building and it could be that you are building a swimming pool which is in the general area um, but again so I do I don't want to be completely critical they they there is a recognition that the system's broken but whether we can fix it that's the hard part
4: yeah well I don't mind being critical <laughs> I, I I think the quite simply the development cost charges community amenities are incredibly important and we should have the best they should be as good as anywhere in the world and they good and they cost money so should we have a development cost charge like we do it that's fifteen dollars or should it be forty five dollars or fifty dollars but make it a lay, level essentially a level playing field where everybody knows what the deal is you know and 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 and, and build great community amenities Mm -hmm. so we've screwed this up in
1: every possible way it sounds like the kind of lack of transparency and kind of the piecemeal nature of it is a is a a huge challenge absolutely yeah Yeah. poor very poor planning very poor long-term thinking so maybe shifting gears a little bit uh, rob i know you're you're kind of watching uh a, a number of markets and i'm kind of curious uh to hear your thoughts on Vancouver as kind of a, a superstar city, there was—we often talk about it was an article in the New Yorker, like maybe four or five years ago, about how Vancouver was kind of becoming a city like the London, Hong Kong, um, Singapore, Sydney, uh, on a global sk- stage, and kind of interesting to, to this global elite that we're investing in real estate with the rise of the foreign buyers tax and everything else. Do you do you see? Vancouver is having a future as a superstar city. Uh, yes, I do. Um, and we've had we've had,
4: you know, foreigners coming, of course, to Vancouver forever. And why do they come? It's one of the greatest places on the entire planet. Right. Mm-hmm. The quality of everything we have here—the beautiful mountains, the beautiful ocean, the temperate climate—so long term, this is that's not going to change. It's one of the greatest places on Earth. The only thing that screws this place up from time to time is inept government. And that happens from time to time. But Mm -hmm. in terms of people coming in from around the world, we've been so blessed. Now, whether it's Scots, Brits, Poles, Italians, French, Chinese, East Indians, we have this multicultural community that's second to none. We all get along. It's a very rich environment, I don't mean that in dollar terms. I just mean in quality of life and the quality of all the things we share together. It's an amazing place. It'll always be an amazing place. It'll have the odd stumble here and there, but it'll always be an amazing place in global terms. Anne?
3: I agree. I I agree wholeheartedly. And just sort of to go into sort of the detail as well as in terms of the forum buyer's tax, which I find interesting, is, you know, I think that it has – Annoyed our friends in China for sure. Sort you know, we've helped. I think whether it's people from India or China, or wherever, have helped to build this region. All of us, I think, come from immigrant parents or grandparents, so we've all been part of building this. Um, and and I think that it is offensive um, to 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 some. Um, but what I find and kind of and not funny, but you know, if you think that sort of those, a lot of the high end homes or homes if, if they've dropped twenty to thirty percent, um, it. So the, the, for the foreign buyer, they're, sort of, they're still what I would call whole. So what it means is if you own a home, you've lost that equity. You have to sell your home for less. The foreign buyer is arguably spending the same amount, but that 20% is now going to the government rather than in your pocket. Right. And, and you talk to Victoria about that. They're actually quite pleased that um, you've lost perhaps some of your equity, and that's now um, with them. So... You know, does the uh, foreign bars tax do anything to create more affordability? No, but are people, you know, uh, I guess some people felt, you know, that it was a, a good punitive measure, but when you really look at it, it hasn't helped.
1: Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, about the the idea of just the, what we were talking about before about you know, just individual investors buying into, say, pre-sale projects, financing them. And uh, I guess depending on who's talking, how many of those people were coming from offshore, but they were actually st- still financing projects here in the Lower Mainland for that are going to lead to places for people to live and, and create supply, which is undoubtedly a, a net positive, right?
3: Right. And I think that what we do, too, is we uh, mistake foreigners... <laughs> with immigrants, you know? Right. Um, uh, so people line up you see a long lineup of at a pre-sale and they say, well, they're all foreign buyers. They're not, they're, they're new Canadians or they're people perhaps have even been living here a, a generation. So, um, you know, I, the, the, you probably know, but in terms of your uh, pre-sales uh, you've got to sell, what is it? 80% of their condo units and through a pre-sale within nine months. And for the most part, the banks, Canadian banks don't recognize as part of that 80% is the, the foreign buyer. So, um, you know, it's, that's not, is what is, that is not what is driving, uh, the sale or even the financing because the, like I said, 80%, um, or, uh, have to be local. Um, I guess it's actually 95% of that 80% has to be local. Right. So, Um, You know, is our foreign buyers uh, an important part of our economy, whether it's in LNG or in commercial real estate or in building a rental uh, or in any other uh, part of our economy? Yet somehow we just want to, um, you know, I think penalize them, Um, perhaps, because it's easy.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we uh, uh, one side of it, we... uh, we have you know, Expo 86 going way back. We have this tremendously successful Olympics, and we invite people to come here, invest here, be part of this great community. So we invite them in, and then they came, and you know, now we're kicking them in the teeth. You know, I don't know the fairness of that necessarily.
1: Maybe as a final question, um, we've kind of talked a little bit about um, – uh, the moment we're in and and it sounds like at least Rob you, you kinda liken it to the nineties a little bit and, and it's we're in a bit of a doldrum here and it's interesting. Adam and I talk about uh I think as as real estate agents we're kind of on the front lines as well. Like it feels like it's raining more now. <laughs> it felt like it was sunnier. Everybody had a lot more optimism a couple years ago. Uh it's it's really like I really think we're seeing it first, right? Um but how how long do you think this This lasts, and do you have any political predictions, or or kind of just general um, predictions on on the next two, five, ten years in Vancouver? Yeah, well, I I think it's uh, very much takes
4: political predictions. Um, You know, the NDP hasn't been in long enough to screw things up yet, but um, given the fullness of time, they completely will. Uh, that 's what socialist governments do. You can count on that with ninety seven percent certainty mm-hmm. so um if if the n d p government is reelected and i kind of my sense is that if certainly if there was an election today they they would be reelected um, but if in two years from now will they be re-reelected I kind of think so because i don 't think they will have screwed things up enough um, um, and then then we 've got them for another four years now by that time you know all bets are off, who knows so um, a tricky question i'm not i 'm um, not inclined well if you 're thinking long term again, greatest place to be worthwhile investing here in the long term it's going to be fine in a short term you know i don 't know i don't
3: know', mm-hmm. I don't I know. Would agree it 's hard to say like i said i 'm concerned about what 's going to happen in the next eighteen months. So Is
4: the NDP going to get reelected? Well, if it was uh, today, uh, yes.
3: So I think it's going to depend whether the things that we're talking about are going to come to fruition. Is the economy really going to like, is the average person going to, when will they start to feel the pain? Is it in 12 months? Is it in 18 months? Or is it in 24 months? And then are we into the second election window? Uh, You know, I I interviewed John Horgan, it's two years ago now, at a UDI event soon after he was elected, and he was very enthusiastic and very buoyant and excited about the future, and the promise of 114,000 rental units, I said to him, you know, given the approval processes right now, we're going to be into the next election before we've even built one of those units. Right. And so it was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. So, but that's <laughs> what we're up against. So, but that
4: was just a political lie of his, wasn't it? I mean, I mean it makes no sense. Uh, what does he know about building a doghouse, let alone 114,000 <laughs> rental units? I mean, that was all total <laughs> horseshit, <horrible. laughs>
3: Well, yeah, perhaps. Um, so that's the thing. So, you, you know, you make these promises, and can they come to fruition? And can will that pain be felt before uh, we go into the next election? I'm not asking for pain. I don't want to have to right. feel pain. I don't want our economy to. But when you're asking for predictions uh, from a political perspective, if you sort of read the tea leaves or look at, 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 at history, mm-hmm. that's likely sort of the, the, the way we'll go. Now, maybe we'll be proved wrong, and that would be great.
4: Yeah, John Horgan's known to be a nice fella, and uh, I just hope he wakes up and smells the coffee and um, changes some of the things that he's doing before he ruins his province.
2: Well, maybe we'll leave it there. (laughs) Well, well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Rob McDonald and Ann McMullen. And and Anne, can you uh, maybe uh, tell our listeners how they can learn more about UDI?
3: Yeah, we have our website, udi.org, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always call us. You can look us up uh, on our website. All of our phone numbers and emails are there. We're very easy to get hold of. And, uh, you know, we, as you probably see, we do a lot of um, those articles in the newspaper. I'm interviewed a lot. So we try to be... Um, Everywhere, out in the communities, uh, at public hearings, um, and certainly uh, online.
2: Right, and uh, maybe Rob, how about a McDonald Development Corporation? <laughs> uh, how to get a hold of us?
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Selma>. <laughs> uh, well, I think we, you know, we're doing development in a variety development center, a variety of places. You know, we've won multiple awards for building the best master plan communities in in Canada. So, um, I, I love what I do. Um, Long term, I'm a completely optimistic person. Um, so anyway, I'm just I'm I'm blessed to be in this business. It's a great business. I'm I'm blessed that I've been able to do business in the city of Vancouver overall in this province. And I'm a very lucky man.
1: Well, there another another good way to go out. Thanks so much, guys. Thank
3: you. Thank you.
4: Thanks Pleasure. for having.
1: Me. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Ann McMullen and Rob McDonald. Really enjoyed
2: that conversation with Rob and Ann, Matt, and uh, it's fantastic having them on the program. We're huge fans of UDI. We're also huge fans of McDonald Development Corp. And, uh... Man,
1: what a great program. Yeah, you know what? It, there were so many interesting takeaways, in part because they both have kind of deep histories with the city of Vancouver. Right. Uh, they've both been very involved in kind of the insider intricacies. So, so many interesting takeaways. Sure. But the one thing that stuck out for me was a guy like Rob McDonald, it's just the mobility of capital, right? Like, right. If you make it difficult to build or too difficult to build, people leave. Like, Sure. He, he, can, he can literally cut half his, 50% of his business and take it elsewhere. And that's what he's done in the past. And it's crazy when you got the level of talent there and the desire to build in Vancouver just thwarted uh, on politics.
2: Well, that's the thing. You're thinking about one of the biggest developers Vancouver has ever produced and politics are forcing him to build elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And and that's, and you know, the other thing, Matt, I just want to say is, I mean, it's, it's also really, my biggest takeaway is, first of all, both of them have such a strong command of the political history in, in the city of Vancouver and how that's impacted building and, and what's happened over the years. And it's just interesting to, to kind of look at, f- kind of pull back and see the forest and understand how the relationship between developers and the political parties in power have kind of swayed back and forth over yeah, time. Yeah, how those trees get built. Yeah, exactly, how <laughs> those trees, wow. Hey, you that's- like that? Slow
1: tier, uh, what else do we got for the day? We got vancouver real estate dot com head over to our website where we got a live updated news feed, uh, our own original content, the live wire, which is our weekly newsletter with deal of the month we're also sending out deals of the week, primarily assignments. We also have private client services.
2: Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information. It's at your fingertips. It's free. And I got to say, we've tried everything out there to search for real estate all over the, the country, really. And nothing is better than PCS. Sign up
1: for your free account. It's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. It's worth pointing out again, we're in the spring market if you're interested in potentially listing your house or even finding out the value of your home, PCS is a very useful tool. Right. Uh, it's o- The only tool better than that is actually getting Adam and me to come down and take a look. Well, we've had people get in touch uh, from our past
2: episodes here, how to sell your property in a down market, really. And we can help you do this. You really need a creative pricing strategy in a market like today's market. So get in touch if you have any questions about listing your place as well. My number 778 847 2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at Vancouver dot com. We also have that Secret Scalina line. Info at Vancouver Real dot com. And he's in a three-piece suit. He's shaved his head. I like I wonder if Rob McDonald had an impact on Secret. <laughs> Unreal.
1: Even the way you approached the mic there, it's like yeah. it's like this interview was a game changer. Is
2: that a bowler cap? <laughs> Have a good week, guys. Take care. Two thousand
4: faces for radio. Subscribe today.
1: or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers, that's wholewayhouse.ca.
0: Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution.
1: We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down.